In today's modern economic climate, we're seeing more and more organizations with mission-driven business models, companies whose core focus is to give back to those less fortunate in our own country and throughout the globe. In today's episode, we sit down for a chat with John Lehman, CEO of One World Play Project, a company that's promoting social nutrition worldwide. All that and more today on Hyperlink Radio. Hyperlink is hyperlink. 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 And welcome to Season 2 of Hyperlink Radio, Episode 2. I'm today's host, Known Wells. Hyperlink Radio is a bi-annual series of podcast episodes that explores how we connect with each other, with our technology, and with the world around us. We are proudly produced by Winning Edits, which publishes the bi-annual magazine Hyperlink. Find us online at winningedits.com and get the latest episodes of Hyperlink Radio by subscribing via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. You can also visit hyperlinkradio.io to learn more. Again, that's hyperlinkradio.io. Thanks so much. I just first want to say thank you uh, for chat taking the time. I know... Uh, you're a busy man, and thank you for taking the time to, especially uh, taking away from your your fun fireworks time with your wife. I I will try to make this uh, fairly brief. That's fine. She has a big cup of coffee, and she's looking pretty content right now. So that's good. Um, yeah, we're we're in good shape. Awesome. Yeah, I I so I I was a soccer. I played soccer for 25 years through you know from five through college and into my adult adulthood. Uh, so I. I, uh, one world, um, play project, uh, you know, it sort of hits me in the heart. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. It does that with a lot of people actually. Yeah. That's great. Um, so can you tell me a little bit, just maybe walk me through a little bit of the structure, you know, or the mechanics, however you want to put that of how one world play project works, how the, how the giving works. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think, first of all, uh, it's important to start out with the understanding that, you know, we're a mission-driven business. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the impact, the giving part, is it's in our DNA. It's not, you know, corporate social responsibility. Um, it's not an afterthought. It's why the business was started um, for for impact. You know, we happen to be a for-profit business, but we see the profit and the impact as being completely intertwined. In other words, um, you know, we we exist to make impact, but we need the profit to drive for the capital to drive that impact. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't we wouldn't make profit if we didn't also have impact. So they they seem to be in opposition to each other, but really we see them as com- being completely integral. So. Uh, you know, the, the purpose of the business is to champion play, really. 
Um, and that would be in all of its forms. And we say anywhere and everywhere because of this kind of ultra durable aspect of the product. Um, and we've, we think of play as social nutrition. Hmm. So, you know, social nutrition is, it means that it's an essential element of everything that we do. Um, as people, you know, we need that for cognitive development, for good socialization skills, and really just, you know, it's an essential component of happiness. And play takes a lot of forms. But, you know, in our case, we're providing these ultra durable play products for the hundreds of millions of people around the world who don't have anything as basic as a ball to play with. So play is social nutrition. So how does this actually work? Yeah, I kind of jokingly say that our our business model is to make money by giving stuff away. <laughs> and it seems it seems counterintuitive, but you know, all of our uh sort of key revenue streams are based around um being able to give the product away because it's mainly for people, not only, but mainly for people who um don't even have a ball. And so, you know, think war zone, refugee camp, uh, developing countries. Uh, these are these are kids and even adults who are playing with trash, you know, I mean, rags that are tied together with twine. Uh, we've even seen kids kicking cans and rocks in absence of a ball yeah. um, because we have this drive to play. Mm -hmm. and, you know, as, a, as a former soccer player, you know, you know how soccer is engaging that way, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll, I'll stop there. I don't know if I actually answered your question, but um... no, you did. You you know, I, I um, let's explore a little bit of the play aspect and how you talk about it being this this social nutrition. I really in, I really appreciate that. And coming from someone who you know has a ten, you know, as we all do, has a, has a tendency to sort of get sort of way caught up in work or just my own head and how that can be, you know, that's not a, that's not a great balance and remembering to myself that play and, you know, fresh air and all those things are, are essential components to my own well-being. Um, talk about like maybe explore the ripple effect play has in those communities that you're giving these, these, um, durable soccer balls too. like how mm -hmm. how do you see that ripple effect work on that local community and then you know global community yeah great question so let's um let's take a couple of examples of of programmatic stuff i mean first of all um there are tens of thousands of of ngos and nonprofits and organizations around the world that are using soccer and other forms of play programmatically so they're because it's so engaging um you know we have we have fifty thousand giving partners around the world i think it's important to get the scale of what we've done here too um i don't know did did sheree go over all those kind of stats with you you know the we've given away so far 1.8 million balls and we're we just um we're just in the middle of a deal for another million balls that we're sending to africa so we're we're looking at, you know, close to 2.8 million balls since we were launched. And we don't give the ball to individuals. We give them to groups. So we calculate about 30 people to every ball. Mm -hmm. So 
we're talking about between 55 and 75 million people have already been impacted um, by by our by our play products. Yeah. Um, so, so, but back to your question, you know, think about the ball is used for things like um, like conflict resolution or um, gender equity programs. Mm-hmm. So when you have a when you have a village where the girls are not allowed to play with the boys or it's it's seen as not a good thing and you know football or play is it's very inclusive you know it's our product is a ball it it doesn't need an instruction booklet and it can be used in any language mm-hmm. so you put a ball down in front of a group of people and they know immediately what to do with it so when you use it for something like a gender equity program the boys and the girls play together the 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 girls feel empowered. The boys come to see girls as equals. Some of them are more talented than they are. And that changes a whole lot of, you know, that's a very generative thing because it changes a whole lot of perspective. And all of a sudden you have the community with a new awareness of how boys and girls can play together. Men and women can play together, can be together, can contribute together. And it starts to have that ripple effect throughout the community. Um, conflict resolution. I mean, you look at, uh, Rwanda, where we had, uh, you know, this horrible genocide just a little bit over 20 years ago. And, you know, Hutus and Tutsis not doing horrible things. And um, there are programs that bring them together on the soccer field. And uh, then they're just their teammates. You know, they don't see each other as enemies. They see each other as teammates. Yeah. So the ripple effect of that becomes huge. And we see this over and over and over again. Uh, the refugee situation now that we have in the world, you know, it's a crisis. We've got 64 million people who are displaced, many of them living in camps where they have, you know, no joy, no hope. Uh, you know, the, the stress, can you imagine the stress of being ripped from your home and maybe your family yeah, and awful. put in a camp where you don't have a job, you don't have an identity card, you don't have a passport, you can't go anywhere, you're dependent on other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, play is an immediate alleviator for that stress, first of all. But second of all, we're seeing in places like Italy and Greece where, um, you know, they've taken in refugee communities that soccer becomes a great way to integrate people into their new communities and not to be seen as other, but to be seen as, oh, somebody who likes to play football. Yeah. I can relate to that. Absolutely. So, those are some examples of how how play can actually have some pretty significant impacts in uh, the health and and well being of a community. Yeah, no, that's very that's incredibly powerful. I, I didn't think about the you know gender equity perspective. Um, you know, that's that's very powerful. You mentioned that uh, One World Play project gives to. You're not necessarily given to individuals. You're given to sort of groups that sort of facilitate different programs and stuff. Can you can you maybe list a couple of the groups that you maybe spoke about in your examples? Well, as I said, we've got you know fifty thousand giving partners, and some of them are um, you know there's a group in Italy that's working with refugees um, that, and I'm I'm sorry I don't have the names of all of them right in my head, but it's okay. Uh, I'm sure others in the in the organization will. Um, and, you know, that's their that is their mission is to help refugees integrate into their new community. 
Um, we work with some big global organizations like Save the Children, who have programs all over the world, or Special Olympics. We just sent a container of balls to Cuba through Special Olympics. Um, uh, UNHCR, you know, the, the Human Rights Refugee Agency of the UN. Um, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. And then there's dozens and dozens of, of organizations that, that specifically use soccer for these kinds of programs. Coaches without uh, coaches across continents, soccer without borders, uh, street soccer, you know, world street soccer. Um, it's, I mean, it's staggering mm -hmm. how many organizations are using play for their programmatic purposes. We, we even have one partner, I can't remember their name, but um, they use soccer for uh, teaching math skills. Wow. So, so they set out cones around the field with different numbers attached to them, yeah. and they make the kids dribble to the different cones and add up the, the numbers. And the kids are so engaged in play that it doesn't seem like learning to them. Oh, I love that. That warms my heart. Um, have you have you ever seen the documentary Pilata? No. Uh, I think it was a pretty uh, you know independent, low budget. I, it was made by a former. Uh, he was you know a guy that was on my high school soccer team way back in the day, and him and his his now wife made this documentary called Pilata, P E L A D A, and essentially they went around the world. Uh, creating you know basically uh playing in pickup soccer games and the focus being you know exactly what you're talking about john is uh you know bringing people together um you know different you know from diverse backgrounds and and sort of encouraging play to uh you know just to bring people together and to to mm -hmm. to remind uh us all that we're all humans you know that that sort of emphasis uh it's it's worth seeking out it's it's very good Great. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, see if I can track it down. Yeah. Um, have you had, have you, can you kind of maybe talk about maybe some, maybe some challenges One World Play Project has had in, in sort of achieving uh, your, your goals in social, you know, in, in, in the impact that you want to make as a, as a company? Um, sure. Because we've been in business for six years, of course, we've had challenges. And, um, you know, any kind of business, but especially a, a, a social business is, uh, it's like one of those rickety old wooden roller coasters, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's so exciting that you can't believe it and you scream. And other times it's so frightening that you can't believe it and you scream. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges we have is just our model. You know, we, if we really, we really rely on other people to get it. Um, in, in order to, uh, to have our impact. And, you know, we've had some big corporate partnerships that have allowed us to do some amazing things, but it's also really challenging dealing with some of those big, um, multinational corporations. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have different, they have different priorities than we do. And so, and they have different cultures than we do. Uh, you know, there's a lot more hierarchy. There's a lot more politics. And so sometimes those pieces are hard. And then I think, um, you know, the other part, the other piece of our of our model is to connect people one on one with the project. And so we started off with a buy one, give one model, you know, sort of like a Tom's Shoes or something like that, where if you bought a ball, we would give a ball away on your behalf. Right. 
Um, or you could also do a, just a give ball if you wanted to do that. And that was more of a one-on-one connection. We also do things like campaigns where individual people or smaller organizations will um, raise balls uh, as part of some program that they have or just because they, mm-hmm. they like the idea. Uh, and, you know, the problem is in the developed world, in, in the U.S., in Europe, um, the, the need for the ultra durability of the ball is not so great. I mean, sure, there are people who say, oh, my kids have seven flat balls in the backyard and it's great to have a ball that doesn't go flat. But, um, you know, as part of our culture, I think uh, people are more interested in what logo is on the ball mm. and what it looks like their sports hero's uh, name is signed on it than, um, than something that looks like a soccer ball but isn't what they're used to as a soccer ball. So <clears throat> the people who really need our product, you know, with the need that we're filling, they couldn't afford to buy it. So, you know, the Nikes of the world, the Adidas of the world, they're not going to, they're not going to make an ultra-durable ball because the people they would sell that to can't afford it. I see. And also, you know, I guess it's the the replaceability factor too probably plays into that. Although I don't want to ascribe any particular motives to anyone else. Sure. So sure. I think just the model itself is kind of a challenge because we rely on on other people to um, really fund the giveaway, whether that's a corporation or an organization or an individual. Um, it, it's a much more complicated transaction. Mm-hmm. You know, as a consumer myself, you know, we're all consumers. Uh, I, I've i certainly noticed in the last, let's say, 10 years, a, a, a shift in uh, this trend, you know, sort of a growing trend in organizations, you know, having, you know, like One World Play, like Tom's you mentioned, like, you know, I talk with um, this uh, co-founder, uh, over at out of print uh, t-shirts have this sort of core component of of giving back and you you mentioned that at one world play it being you know just part of the part of the mission you know part of like why the company was was founded in the first place and there seems to be this this trend toward more and more of that and as a consumer i th- that's what i seek out that's what i that's what i want I want to uh, support companies that 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 do great things for communities around the world. I think so. I guess all of that to say, like, are you seeing a growing trend yourself as a consumer or as a as a as a businessman? Like, and how do we how do we get on the same page? How do we make this model? the future. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's impossible. I don't know, but like, it just, it seems like more and more companies and organizations are doing it this way. Yeah. Well, I think your observation is correct. And, um, I mean, I don't think I would be doing this if I didn't believe that it was, that it had legs. Right. Um, you know, it's our purpose is, is impact. And so we have to find ways to do this. Maybe we're just a little bit ahead of that curve, but, um, you know, I've been working in the social venture space for a long time. And uh, in fact, I'm a longtime member and former board chair of Social Venture Network, which is the largest and oldest um, network of social ventures in the country, in the world, actually. 
Hmm. And um, so, you know, I've, I've kind of lived in the space and I've seen the progression of it over the years. And there's no question that what it is today is light years away from what it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the space is getting, you know, very full and people are embracing it. And it's, it's not, you know, big corporate um, America or world hasn't fully embraced it yet, but they understand what you're talking about. They yeah. understand the consumers are now saying, uh-oh, if you don't have the social component, we're not going to be looking at you. It's why it's not the only reason, but it's why the Walmarts of the world have gone to, you know, they're like one of the biggest um, users of solar energy. They um, they've switched um, their focus to to organic product and uh, they tell their suppliers that they have to use less packaging. That has a huge impact on the world mm -hmm. because their consumers are paying attention to that. Um, you know, the, the big corporations we're talking to now about partnerships they get this to their core. They're just trying to figure out how to reconcile it with their short-term earnings and, and how do they make it make sense. And what we say to them is, uh, well, it makes sense because it's, it, you're going to get more business by doing it this way. Yeah. And it's not just about doing good, but it's about the fact that this is just good business sense right now. You know, Walmart doesn't put solar on their roof because they care about the environment per se. They put solar on all of their roofs because um, it saves them money in the long run. Sure. And which means more profitability in the short run. So so we're we're hanging in there to try to to try to prove that. And I think on the consumer side, um, you know, as the world gets crazier and crazier, people are looking more and more for um, connection. And, you know, we saw that in the economic meltdown in 2008. What did people do? They reached out to their friends and their networks and they, you know, they did they did things closer to home because they couldn't afford to go farther away. But it's a basic human drive, I think. And so we're we're planning on uh, continuing to hone our skills around how we talk about this. It's maybe partly an education thing, but I, I'd hate to be in the oil and gas business right now. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather be in the play business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. I, I think the education piece is, is I think important for me, you know, and, and sort of valuing as a consumer of these companies and, and sort of the clarity of impact I think is, is a big one because I remember, you know, ages ago there's there's there was this understanding you know you let's say you run a marathon and you know a percentage of your sort of entry fee goes toward nameless organization and, and there's never like you know as a as, as a runner or as a consumer you you feel okay about that you feel it's it's good thing but you also want like i've always sort of strived and yearn for a, a clarity of impact like what is what is my money doing how is it impacting directly impacting the people that uh you know are receiving that money or receiving a product you know whatever you know what i mean so clarity of impact that education i think is is important mm -hmm. you know there's the the other aspect to this also is that as government especially in our country 
um, get away gets away from uh, working on and trying to solve social issues. Um, I mean, serious social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I see I see businesses stepping into that void, and I and I really think that you know the the whole kind of premise of the early social venture movement was to first of all to change the way the world does business you know so that we don't just think about short term profitability but we think about you know what's been, what's been called the triple bottom line that there's you know profitability as part of it but it's also social equity and it's environmental concern mm-hmm. and and now there're lots of others i mean you know there there're five bottom line businesses um, but as government has gotten out of solving social issues business has stepped into it and that's where i see the 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 social venture um movement is there are companies that are stepping into solving social issues and i think that's the that's the future because um you know government revenues are constrained politics get in the way and all of a sudden government's not taking care of homeless people or people with mental illnesses or um you know people with disabilities and uh you know people in poverty and businesses are stepping into that businesses like one world that have that uh impact concern at the heart of what they do and it's not just oh we're going to give 5% of our profits to a nice nonprofit mhm yeah so they're saying we're going to solve we're going to work on solving this social issue and that's a sea change yeah no that's it's it's really remarkable to see and i i i really love it I, you mentioned the homeless community i'm i'm actually uh i was just in contact with the folks over at bombas uh they give away socks to the homeless um it's kind of the one for one tom's model and uh i I just think it's so cool and lovely and uh i want more and more of it yeah well i think we're seeing a trend towards that yeah yeah no that's good to hear um I guess my last question for you, uh, John, is what's on the horizon for One World? What's, uh, you know, any, are you guys working on any specific, like, uh, goals at the moment? You know, any, any um, future partnerships that, uh, you know, sort of add some nuance or additional uh, components to your, your impact? Uh well, there are a couple of things that I can't talk about, but because okay. uh, <laughs> we have NDAs. But yeah, um, we're we're very, we're very close to a global partnership. Um, actually, a three-way global partnership around the World Cup um, that's going to take place in Russia in 2018. Oh, awesome! That could be huge for us and uh, for the people who would be on the receiving end of it. Um, we, as I said, we just uh, back in June. Uh, signed a deal to send a million balls to a West African country, and we're um, we're we're deep into that right now. That we have to have that done by January. So our our uh, factory in Taiwan is um, is going full out right now. Uh, we have some partnerships with a, a couple of other large corporate um, entities that are going to be really interesting. And you know we have other products in our pipeline that we want to develop. Uh, there's some of them are half developed, some of them are just still conceptual, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of other product development that we want to do. And you know, for our first focus is impact, but our second focus is being able to spread this to other, um, you know, to other sports as well and other and other kind of play activities. So, so that's 
you know, looking a little bit longer term, where we're lining up the capital to do that. Um, yeah, sounds great. Yeah, sorry, I can't be more specific about some, no, some of those no. things. But no, um, yeah, don't be sorry. That's uh, no, that's great. I think that's 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 wonderful. It's good to hear. Uh, well, I uh, I think that's that's all I have, sir. Well, listen, pleasure talking with you, and I I appreciate the focus of your um, your your story. I think. Um, you know, this is what we need is to get the word out about what people are doing out there that are actually, that's actually making a difference and with a different kind of approach. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, us, you know, our team is, is small, but we're very passionate group of people who care about, uh, the environment and, and the communities that we serve. And so, um, yeah, no, I, I appreciate your time and I appreciate One World, uh, Play Project. This season, we're sharing a link of the week at the end of each episode, an awesome corner of the internet that we've discovered recently. This week's link of the week is not precisely a link. It is a podcast, a full podcast, and that podcast is called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. It's also a statement that would very much accurately describe my listening habits. The podcast, I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, is created by... Joseph Fink and John Darnell, who is the the creator of the band, the Mountain Goats, and lead vocalist and writer, and he is he being John Darnell is is an amazing writer. He's an amazing thinker and just a, a wonderful musician. And I just love the way he processes the world the world through his writing. And he's just he's just one of those people that really inspires me creatively and the show is in its first season they and i think in in each subsequent season they will be breaking down one of the mountain goats albums and in each episode they break down one of the tracks and they talk about uh the writing process and and sort of like the inspiration for that particular that particular track and at the end of each episode they bring on a guest a musician, singer, uh, songwriter to come and uh, do a rendition of that particular track. You know, people like Laura Jane Grace or Amanda Palmer, uh, just amazing, amazing people uh, uh, doing uh, the Mountain Goats stuff. And um, the show is, I think, a an amazing uh, place to find inspiration. Um, and it's... Uh, I just want more people to listen to the Mountain Goats. Um, I've been a fan for, uh, gosh, it's been about 15 years now, and and I just love everything they do. They're very inventive, and and they're always coming out with new. Um, each each track is, or each album rather, is is very different and uh, wonderful. So, my link of the week is the podcast. I only listen to the Mountain Goats. Go find it on iTunes. Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hyperlink Radio. Together, let's support organizations like One World Play Project. It'll make this pale blue dot a whole lot brighter. 
In next week's episode, we'll be exploring the topic of whistleblowers and the all-too-human conflict between truth and loyalty. Stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Hyperlink Radio by going to hyperlinkradio.io and give us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and as always, stay connected.